Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Daily Feasting on the Words of Christ. How are you doing today? I am excited to talk to you as always. I always love talking to you. It's always so much fun to share what I've learned from the scriptures. And... Um, today was Mosiah chapter six, which actually was a fairly short chapter. It basically was just detailing how, uh, the transition of power went from King Benjamin to King Mosiah and kind of just how that transition worked. There was a lot of appointments made for teachers to teach the people, to remind them about the covenants that they made of which, Everyone entered into the covenant except for little children that didn't understand it at that point. So that's amazing. An entire nation of people was just like, yeah, we'll convert. We'll make a covenant. What? What? Can you imagine that as a missionary? The entire nation just converts and you baptize thousands and hundreds of people. That would be like just wow. Can't even imagine and be incredible. But yeah, so there's lots of appointments made and King Mosiah becomes king. And I thought what was really interesting, I believe it was in the last verse, it talks about how King Mosiah, he tills the earth and feeds himself so that he doesn't become burdensome. And there's peace for about three years, which having peace for three years, that's impressive. That is amazing to have peace for that long. At least I feel like it is with these people. So, dang, King Mosiah, you are amazing that you were able to have peace for three years at the start of your reign. When usually transitions like that aren't always peaceful. But this one was. And that's amazing. But also what was amazing is um, the fact that He's a king, and more often than not, kings will use taxes as a a way to gain income for their leadership so that they can sustain themselves. What was interesting about Mosiah is that he sustained himself by going to work in his own field. And... I don't know, maybe he did still do taxes, but it was so light, there's no need mentioning them, you know? But he sustained himself. He was very self-reliant, even as a king. And I thought that was just kind of incredible, you know, that that that's not usual for a king. That's not usual for a leader um, in human nature. Human nature usually is that, you know, that when someone has power, they tend to abuse it. There's this quote... I don't remember who it's by, but it says power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts. Not always true. It depends on the character of the person. If the person who gets power has no character in as well, in other words, like has not taken the time to develop virtues, you know, like patience and compassion and temperance and wisdom and reason and you know all those things that basically in the bible are known as the gifts of the spirit like if they haven't taken the time to develop their character 
like honesty is one of those things, integrity. Um, then they are definitely more likely than not going to corrupt that power or, you know, it, it's like even if they intend to do good, that power is going to become corrupted and they're usually going to abuse it and have other people serve them to where they don't have to do anything because it's just so comfortable and so easy and it feels so nice, you know? Um, but when you have a, a strong character and a strong sense of responsibility to the position, when you get that kind of power, then you're wanting to do things as much as possible to help your people and not put any burdens on them. So it definitely shows that King Mosiah has strong character ethic, strong character ethic, strong sense of responsibility, strong sense of service to his people because he does not want to be a burden to them in any way. Absolutely incredible. King Mosiah is amazing and such a good example to those who may be in a leadership position you know, if you're a missionary, then that would be like sister training leader or a zone leader, even a district leader, AP, whatever position you have that kind of considered a leadership position, you know, it's not to say that, oh, you are a better missionary than everybody else. So you got given this position. It is an opportunity to serve your other missionaries. You've now been given greater responsibility to help the other missionaries, right? Or if you're not a missionary um, and maybe you have a leadership position in work or you have a calling that puts you in a leadership position or maybe you are a leadership position in the home, right? You could be a, a mom or a dad or maybe you're just the oldest child in your family and you that kind of is a leadership position. At least in my family, I'm the oldest and that, that is a leadership position. My example um, is closely watched and what I do is closely observed by my younger siblings. And what I do and say in affects and influences what they do. And that kind of position of power and responsibility at its best and highest form of use can be of the greatest service to other people and produce the greatest good. But at its worst form of use, it is benefiting only one person, and that's the person who has the power and responsibility. And now everyone hates the person who has that power and responsibility because they're abusing it and causing the people to have more burdens than they would have otherwise instead of trying to help the people in, in their burdens. You know, and so King Mosiah, great example, love him. Something that I definitely need to strive for because at work I have somewhat of a position of leadership and responsibility at a daycare. Yes, I'm an assistant teacher, but I still have some responsibility and some power given as I work with these kids. These kids look to me to to guide them and to like keep the peace right and lead teacher lead teachers rely on me to help them in leading the classroom in the curriculum and helping the kids develop in the skills that 
this particular daycare has goals for and and so at work I need to remember that this is not a position to abuse and I mean there's not much abuse of that position that can happen when at least I personally feel like when working with little kids you know but to remember that this is a position of service to remember that I am there to serve and to help these children the best that I possibly can and not to put further burdens on them, you know? And that's something that I'm learning is learning how to understand, okay, what are the needs of these children? What can I do to help provide them their needs? Like the other day, the rules of this daycare is that when I bring kids to this facility after school, that they're supposed to come and do quiet playtime. Well, here's the thing. They've been at school. They're a little bit restless. they got all this energy that they need to get out. Well, when I try to make them be still and quiet, only a couple of them are able to accomplish that and not for very long even. They just have all this energy. And so... And so the other day, I decided, you know, maybe it'd be better to take the kids outside for at least 30 minutes and then bring them back in. Because once they've gotten all their energy out, it might be easier for them to sit still and be quiet. And it's been working really well. I have had less trouble even with my most troublesome students because they've gotten all their energy out and they when they go outside and they play they play four square they found a football they're playing with the leaves and the trees one of them started digging through the trash that one I'm still working on because <laughs> there's a couple dumpsters outside but Anyway, it's mainly like cardboard. Um, so it's like nothing really bad. They just are looking through cardboard and they love doing crafts. This kid loves making knives out of wood and out of cardboard. Which, at, at this daycare facility, they don't like that he does that. They always tell him no weapons in the classroom. I will admit, I am bad at enforcing that because my personal philosophy is I'm okay with you having knives. I mean, for heaven's sake, I carry my own. Bye, William. Sorry, one of my cousins is leaving for high school. School of day. But, like, I carry my own pocket knife. You can't see it, but it's gorgeous. It's got this beautiful wood handle made out of a burl and, like, it needs to be sharpened. I need to put that on my list to do tomorrow. I have a list of things that I want to do tomorrow to get my life in order. One of which is a shower. Because, I mean, it just happens to fall on a Saturday this time. But lots of cleaning, lots of personal reflection, and sharpening my knife. But yeah, I carry a pocket knife. I love knives. And I've been raised in a family that's not afraid of weapons of any kind. I went to martial arts as a kid. 
Like, and I did it for eight years. So weapons to me, having weapons, not a problem. The use of weapons, that's where you need to be more vigilant. So I'm like, I don't want to make kids scared of weapons, right? Because to me, that's bad. To make them scared of the weapon, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. that is not good. That is not healthy, in my opinion. That's not right. That's not the right way to think. There's no need to be afraid of weapons, right? Now, there does need to be a res- healthy respect for weapons because weapons are actually tools. A knife is a tool. A gun is a tool or any other form of weapon, as someone else would call it. It's just a tool. What we're all scared about is the improper use of those tools to harm other people. That's what we're scared about. And so we make it about the weapon. If we take away the weapon, then like we don't have to be afraid of people getting hurt. Oh my goodness. That's not going to solve anything. You need to teach people how to use weapons properly, the proper use of weapons. That will actually reduce the amount of harm that happens to people, right? Don't teach them to be afraid of weapons. Teach them how to use them. So when that kid is walking around with these fake knives, I'm just like, okay, cool. As long as you don't point it at other people, as long as you don't even pretend to point it at other people, I'm okay with you having it. As soon as I start, as soon as I see you start pretending to point it at other kids in the classroom, I'm taking it away. That's my rule. The other teachers, of course, are always like, "No weapons in the classroom." It probably is a rule of of state licensing that they're not allowed to have any form of weapons, so I, it's probably not something that they can really control. Um, but yeah. I'm still working on that one because my philosophy is very, very different. But anyway, it's a position of service. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there on my own personal <laughs> stuff. I don't know. That that topic of it's a tool, use it properly, can be applied to so many things. Not just weapons, but also like technology, social media there's nothing wrong with them. It's a tool. Use it properly. And if you find that you have been using it improperly, there's lots of different ways that people have suggested to like restart yourself or reset. You know, like President Nelson encouraged us to do a fast, right? That helped gave us a reset and to realize when and to reflect, have I been using this tool properly? Right? And so... I mean, it's, I think that's something good to think about in your life is have I been using my tools properly, right? Everything that's not alive, right? An inanimate object, they're all tools. Everything. A house is a tool. Am I using it properly? A car is a tool. Am I using it properly? A book, a pencil, a knife, a gun, clothing, a shower, water. Like, am I using it properly? Right? Now, don't apply this to living objects because living objects are not tools. 
and I mean this even for plants and animals, because I'm developing a personal theory. It's still in the hypothesis stage. So right now it's a personal hypothesis that every living thing, including plants and animals, are more than just tools, and we should not use them as tools and objects, but to see them as they really are. This makes a lot of sense with people, right? They're not tools, they're a person, so treat them as a person, not a tool. They're not an object to be used by you, right? They're not there for your benefit, but to... With live objects, instead of saying, how can I use this properly? You say, how can I help? How can I serve? Right? Because with living objects, it's the highest form of relationship with living objects, people, plants, and animals is is interdependent. Right? You're both independent objects, but then when put together, you find that you be, have like a more of a synergistic relationship that uh, you're able to accomplish more together than you would alone. And that's why they're not a tool. A tool doesn't do anything for you. You have to use it for your benefit or, or you use it to your detriment if you use it improperly. But a living object, it like... It needs you as well as you need to, as you need it. So it's a synergistic relationship there. Anyway, personal hypothesis and personal theories that I'm still developing, still thinking about, but yeah, so I'm going to think about. Wait, somehow got way, somehow I got there from my scripture reading. Not sure how. Maybe I'll have to listen back. Well, that's recording when I'm done. But anyway, let's go to Mark chapter 9. Oh, this goes back into the discussion of when you have a position of authority. It's all about service. Because in this chapter, there's a lot that goes down. Again, it's Mark. A lot goes down in every single chapter of Mark. But one story is that While walking, the apostles were having a dispute, an argument about who was the greatest. And Jesus asks them about this dispute, and they are not really wanting to tell him. And so he kind of perceives what they were talking about. And he teaches them that whoever is greatest among you provides the greatest service. Right? That, again, a position of high leadership is all about service. It's not about power. It's not about status. It's not about having more than someone else. It's all about how can you serve someone more? All about service. Everything in God's kingdom is tied back to service. And why is that the case? Because everything in God's kingdom has a foundation upon Christ. If like everything is built upon Christ, it really is. And how did Christ live his life? Through service. He was constantly serving people in all forms. And we are asked to be like Christ. And when we build our foundation on Christ, 
and tried to live the life that he lived, it was a life of service. So that's why there's a huge focus on service. It's not one of those, you know, outlying principles that we do only when we have time. No, it's a main principle of the gospel because that is mainly how Christ lived his life. His entire life was about service. Service is huge. It's not one of those little things, even though it's like a small blurb in the Preach My Gospel on one of the lessons at the end, you know, it's not talked about a whole lot. It's just like, oh, and service, make sure you serve people. Christ says that the two greatest commandments are loving God and loving your fellow men. And how does that happen? Through service. The greatest commandments are about service. Living the gospel means service. (laughs) Service is huge. I'm still learning that. I can say that, but I can tell my heart needs some work. My head knows what it's talking about, but my heart is still like, yeah, whatever. There's no time. How on? You never think about it. You get caught up in daily life, Alma. Like, we never have time to think about service. It's just too much work. So I'm like, oh, wow. I got a lot of heart work. A lot of heart work I need to do to get to where my head and my heart agree on this whole service idea. And maybe you have got this down. Maybe you're like, oh, yeah, I, I'm with you, Almaine. You're preaching to the choir. Awesome. I wish I could talk to you so you could help me in remembering how to serve people being my main focus throughout the day. Because sometimes my main focus is myself. I'm a very selfish person. And I'm working on it. You know? Sometimes I think about, I'm tired. I don't want to do anything. Or, you know, like, uh, I'm too tired, kids. Why don't you go play by yourselves? Or... Well, I'm really hungry. Can this kid just fall asleep for nap time so I can go on my break? Or I wish the bus rides are longer so I could listen to more of my audiobook. Like it, I have very selfish thoughts throughout the day. So I, I know I have a lot of work that I need to do on focusing on serving other people. So <sighs> lots of work to do. But that's okay. That's what I have today for. And so today... I'm going to work on being a little bit better than I was yesterday. You know, 1% increase. That's what I'm going to focus on because that I can do. I can work on a 1% increase and just do that every single day. You know, if that is in reference to a general conference talk from this past October, I don't remember which talk or which speaker, but it's in there. Um, I think it was the guy who brought math in. He had like this scale thingy. I'm not positive. I'm sorry. Sorry, I do not have all the information for you, but I don't know. I just remember someone talking about 1% increase every day. And I've been using that to help remind myself that I don't need to be perfect right now. I just need to progress. I just need to improve. And even if that's a little bit, that's still considered improvement. So 1%. Here we go. So yeah, Um, it is almost time for me to go. So I'm going to have to end my podcast here. And I want to thank you again so much for listening. And 
Um, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Remember that God loves you and that you're amazing and that you can do amazing things. And I'll talk to you later.